Christmas, spent with friends and family yesterday, uh, <clears throat> and uh, it is my task, as Brian is away celebrating with his friends and family, to deliver a year-end Christmas, New Year's, not bore you to tears, get you out of here early message. <clears throat> Amen, someone says. So um, this is going to seem a little bit odd, but if you would grab a Bible and turn to the book of Ezekiel, it's going to seem like a strange text for New Year's, <clears throat> and I'm going to be calling for a volunteer later, so be thinking about whether or not you're willing to have me embarrass you mightily. Um, Ezekiel chapter 18, and if you would stand, please. As I read the word of the Lord, Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, What do you mean by using this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, The fathers eat sour grapes, but the children's teeth are set on edge? As I live, declares the Lord God, you are surely not going to use this proverb in Israel anymore. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father, as well as the soul of the Son, is mine. The soul who sins will die. Thus saith the word of the Lord. You may be seated. <clears throat> At this point in Ezekiel's writing, the nation of Israel were captives. They were exiles. They had been hauled away out of their homes, away from their land. They had had their temple burned to the ground. They're 700 miles away from their home. Their king's eyes have been plucked out. And the prophet Ezekiel finds himself among these people that really are not having such a good time. <clears throat> the prophet Ezekiel, as a prophet, has God telling him things, certain things to say to these people. And this quote, if you can see in my Bible, it's indented there in verse 2. The quote was a popular saying at the time. The fathers eat the sour grapes, but the children's teeth are set on edge. And God says, stop quoting that. You, sh you are surely not going to use this proverb in Israel anymore. So the question today at the end of the year and the cusp of the new year is what does this proverb mean? And why does God not want the Israelites and I believe us by extension to not quote this? What does it mean and why does he not want us to quote it? Well, a sour grape, a sour grape can come from anywhere. <clears throat> and usually it's one that has been left on the vine for too long. And um, because I wanted to be nice to the volunteers, I decided not to do an actual sour grape, <clears throat> you know, plucked from under the freezer bin at the city market or something off the floor. So instead, I have Sour Patch Extreme candy. So can I have a volunteer to come up for this? Anyone? Yeah, that's great. You, Sweetheart, you want to come up? Okay. Sour Patch Extreme. And she's going, to walk by, she's going to walk out with this whole bag, so I hope that's okay. 
more sugar at Christmas. So the proverb again, the fathers eat the sour grapes, but the children's teeth are on edge. Why don't you come stand right here? And here's what I want you to do. We'll pretend that these are sour grapes. And what I want you to do here, take one, hold out your hand. We'll put one in your hand. Oh, you got a couple of those. Okay, so, so turn and show everybody your face, and I want you to eat one. How's it taste? It's not sour at all. And the package even says extreme sour. Honey, thank you so much. Merry Christmas. You can take those back to your seats. <clears throat> Maybe I should have gone for the grape from under the city market stand. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> well, the, the interesting thing is, <clears throat> had she reacted the way I wanted her to react, there, there would have been a, a slight pucker in the face. Because, oh yes, there you go. Um, she, yes, she's, she has been uh, inoculated against these, apparently. Okay. So the proverb is not when you eat something sour, <clears throat> that your teeth are set on edge. The proverb says, the fathers eat the sour grapes, but the children's teeth are set on edge. See, the collective wisdom expressed here by the nation of Israel in the book of Ezekiel is that the reason that they're suffering like they, they were is that their parents had sinned. Their parents had disobeyed God, had rebelled, were stiff-necked, had forgotten about the poor and the needy, had desecrated the temple. And the reason that they were in the spot they were in is because their parents sinned, making God angry, and because of God's anger at the parents, the children were punished. We were taking on the consequences for other people's bad actions. So this sentiment is actually not just a popular one. <clears throat> at, <clears throat> at the time for the nation of Israel, the sentiment actually we, we find expressed today. Life is bad. Well, it's someone else's fault. We're bearing their punishment. Someone else messed up, and that's why my life is hard. Everything goes against me. I have bad luck after bad luck. My parents screwed up, made destructive choices, and now I'm paying for their stupidity. Fatalism, despair, suffering. Happy New Year. Just kidding. It goes in a different direction from this. So how much of this sentiment do you bear in yourself? Just take a minute to think about this. <clears throat> My life is hard. I'm suffering. I'm enduring a certain set of circumstances right now that are not my fault. I had nothing to do with their creation, but I'm paying for it. How often is this sentiment represented in the people around you? I'm sure that at your workplace, with your friends, you can see people's teeth on edge. I feel that way sometimes. And there's people that I want to blame my situation on. And that is the setting here in Ezekiel 18. This sentiment that says our lot in life is to suffer for the choices of others. In Ezekiel, 
where God, through the prophet Ezekiel, says, stop it. Just stop. Stop blaming your misery on others. Everyone belongs to me, both the parents and the children. Verse 4, behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the father as well as the soul of the son is mine. You live with the consequences of your actions, not the consequences of the actions of those who came before. So the rest of chapter 18, because we're actually going to jump to the end at the end of this message, the rest of the chapter 18 depends on the version of Scripture that you have. Some are indented as he goes through this protracted analogy. Ezekiel, again, God through the prophet, saying, well, what if there's a wicked man who has a good son? The son of a wicked man could still be good and do good things. And the son of a good man could be wicked. And the son of a wicked man could be good. And there's this, this whole explanation through chapter 18 that I won't go into. But this passage, <clears throat> I believe, has three lessons for us today and in the new year. The first lesson is conventional wisdom. The second lesson is about inheritance and freedom. And the third is a call to repentance and the gift of a fresh start. And that's why I believe this passage is so crucial for the new year. Conventional wisdom... Inheritance and freedom and a call to repentance. So conventional wisdom. There's a lesson here in groupthink or conventional wisdom. And groupthink is pretty neutral. I mean, some conventional wisdom is actually healthy. For example, when you say, around here in this house, we will do laundry and bathe regularly. Those of you with teenage boys say amen. Or in our house, we bus our own dishes after dinner. In our house, we pick up our toys. See, with our kids, we find our kids in a state of pre-conventional wisdom. Pre-conventional wisdom isn't aware there's a way to do things around here. And you're introducing your children to healthy patterns of thought and behavior. This is how we do things in our tribe. Conventional wisdom is healthy, but not always. Sometimes... Conventional wisdom can be completely crazy and terribly destructive. For example, in this case, conventional wisdom says you are not free. You can't escape the past. You can't escape the control of others. How does this look in our world? Everybody cuts corners in business. Come on. How else are you going to get ahead? Everybody sleeps around. A little bit. Come on, it's once or twice. Everybody gets wasted in my school. All guys do that. Destructive conventional wisdom. So we talked about children who are in pre-conventional wisdom. We talked about conventional wisdom. There is something called post-conventional wisdom. Post-conventional wisdom says, I don't care if everyone thinks this is the standard way things are done. I don't care what the SOP is. Post-conventional wisdom calls us to step outside our group and their thinking, analyze it, and see the perspective of this group as either healthy, in which case we can embrace that, or not, and we say, enough of your stinking thinking. Interestingly enough, this happens a lot in Scripture. 
most famously Matthew 5 and Jesus in the Sermon of the Mount. He says over and over again, you have heard it said, conventional wisdom, but I tell you, post-conventional wisdom. Sound familiar? You remember some of these examples? Adultery. You have heard it said, but I tell you, and he totally changes the nature of adultery. Murder. You have heard it said, but I tell you, divorce. You have heard it said, but I tell you, an eye for an eye. If someone wrongs you, get them back. Conventional wisdom says, make them pay. And Hollywood makes movies like Payback. And I mean, the title of the movie is Payback, and it's all about revenge, right? And Jesus says, but I tell you. He calls us to post-conventional wisdom. The only healthy thing for you as a disciple is to move past this and love your enemies. Get out of the conventional wisdom. So we need to be aware of the conventional wisdom. We need to challenge the assumptions of the culture around us that would lock you down and lock you into these patterns. And maybe you've spent this whole last year being locked into this stuff. No, this is, this is the way it is. This is, the way, this is just the way my family works. There is no hope for my marriage. This is just the way church is. There's no hope for this church. We need to move past all of these conventional wisdoms, this destructive groupthink, into something healthy that Jesus has called us to. It's the first part. The second part, inheritance and freedom. This is, <clears throat> this is fascinating. I love this study. This is actually the nature and nurture debate. And um, everyone knows that we are a result of multiple generations before us and that our heritage has shaped us. The very fact that I'm communicating to you in English and you're understanding it and not in Mandarin Chinese is a result of where you were born and who your parents are. I just overheard women this past Thursday in the office discussing Nancy Friday's uh, seminal book, My Mother, Myself, and the huge role that mothers play in the lives of their daughters. I just heard that this past week. And beyond the psychological influence, I don't know how many of you are familiar with this, but the science of epigenetics, the study of inherited changes in phenotype or gene expression, which is different than the actual manipulation of the DNA sequence. These are non-genetic factors that cause the cells and underlying DNA to behave differently, says that emotions and events, on the one hand, love and security... Dignity, honor, virtue, worth literally become written into the code and passed on. Just like these methyl tags that are associated with experiences of, of fear or trauma, shame or abuse literally can be passed on. Epigenetics, it's fascinating. But all of this says... Whether it's nature or nurture, we can have this stuff passed on. And the conventional wisdom says you are locked into that. You are locked into this inheritance. And years later, what you got from your parents, the sour grapes that they may have eaten, I'm sure you can identify with, may have set your teeth on edge. And the crazy thing is, as you go through life, you add more, more cards to those stack that you were already handed. And then you get married and your wife brings a stack to the table. And 
And you've got to try to merge those in a healthy way. So it can be a struggle for sure with the thought that we have no power or options to change, that we must live with what we've been handed. And God says no. God says no. That every generation, that every person stands before him just as you. Not, you are not looked at by God by whatever those who came before you did or said. And yes, there is an influence for sure. This is not easy. This is a process. And you need God's help. And we're going to get to that. Because I don't know that you can really even deal with this on your own. But the crazy thing is this this judgment verse, this judgment sentence there in verse 4, Ezekiel 18, 4, the soul who sins will die comes off as fire and brimstone and hell and the classic depressing preaching. But literally, this is a message of hope. The soul who sins will die. You are not bound by those who came before. You are free and God will make you free. And so as we're coming to this year of new starts... That's why this passage and this message is timely. So, we had conventional thinking. We had inheritance and freedom. And finally, there's this call to repentance. And though you may have been affected by lots of things and other people, though some crazy economist with a PhD in math designed a credit default swap eight years ago that resulted in your house being foreclosed on or maybe your job being lost or the implosion of a marriage, this coming year does not define you. Maybe you had a fantastic year. And if so, great, build on that. But as we turn to this call to repentance, would you look at me at the end of chapter 18? Look at what he says. Starting in verse 30. Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, each according to his conduct, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn away from all your transgressions so that iniquity may not become a stumbling block to you. Cast away from you all your transgressions which you have committed and make... Yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord God. Therefore, repent and live. <coughs> Excuse me. So, <clears throat> remember the setting of this passage is the exile. Ezekiel's wife, we know, had died. The king's eyes had been gouged out. And again, that was a a symbolic statement by the conquerors that the nation of Israel was blind, that they were purposeless, that even their ruler had no clue about what was coming. They're 700 miles away from their homes in a foreign land, forced to work and forced to bow down to foreign gods. This was no little thing. Maybe 
what you are facing today. Maybe your situation, some pain, some loss is so great and so disorienting, we are left to ask, how can we even survive? Some hatred, some hurt, some divorce, some loss and grief is so overwhelmingly painful, it's literally like driving. Uh, sorry, drowning. We can't, we can't survive. And the brilliant thing is, God says, you need a new heart. You need a new spirit. And this passage here says, get one. The NASB says, get one. Get a new heart. Get a new spirit. And the message of Christmas, and this is the tie to Christmas, and again, pushing us towards the new year, is that hope has come. A way has been made for us to get a new heart and a new spirit. And I'm sure those of you who are out here today, the faithful have already trusted in Christ for that. But maybe you haven't. I don't know everyone that's here. And if you're visiting with us, welcome. But if you have not found the peace and the hope and the new heart that Christ can give you, get it. Make that decision and make it today. You are not a victim of other people and circumstances. You can be free. There's another statement in Scripture. It says, this is the day that the Lord has made. And, I mean, even me, this morning I got up and I was here close to 7 o'clock. And the, how many of you saw the sunrise this morning? Isn't that incredible? Oh. When I see those things, I look at today, in a micro sense, Today, this is the day that the Lord has made. And I say, oh, I will be glad and rejoice in it. But there's another way to take that. It's more of a carpe diem. Like, this is the day. Today is the day. We're on the cusp of a new year. This is not a trite message about New Year's resolutions. This is a message of hope for the new year. Today is the day. Seize this. Start the work and again, this is the year of caring community. This is the last thing that I have to say. This is our year of caring community here at Dillon Community Church. Some of these things are really hard. The inheritance side of this, the conventional wisdom th side of this, this is a process. You don't just say, oh, my parent was an abusive alcoholic, and so all of a sudden, I'm not going to struggle with anything. This is not a switch that gets flipped. Say you were raped and you ended up having an abortion. This is not a switch that all of a sudden just says, I'm not going to think about the child that I never had. This is a process. And the thing is, this fits so well with who we are and who we want to be as Dillon Community Church. Because true biblical community comes alongside each other in the process. Uh, how many of you were here several months ago when I preached a message entitled, Know and Be Known? Know and Be Known. Is anybody okay? Several people remember that. This is part of the process of being community. We are free. God offers us this freedom and this grace and this peace through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And as we come into this new year, please hear this call to rally around one another, to get into this process, to help each other 
and I need you guys again to help me. As Let's repent. Let's turn away from the stinking thinking that we have inherited. It's not going to be easy. It's a process for sure, but let's get involved and get engaged with, with each other. And in this new year, whatever 2010 gave you, the hope that we just celebrated coming to earth as the baby Jesus has died for your sins. And he's offering you a new heart and a new spirit for a new year. So I challenge you to take that. If you want to talk more about this, I want to be part of your process. There's, a, there's been, oh, I don't know, three or four people over the last 18 months that have said, hey, I need help. And we have spent hours together. And it's been wonderful. It's been wonderful to come alongside these people. And I want to invite you guys to do that with me. I'd love to be there for you. Uh, and I, I encourage you and challenge you to be there for each other in this new year. So, with that being said, would you stand? And uh, let's sing this New Year's benediction together.